podcast within a podcast pottering around the maddeningly noble companion to Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who would like to go back to Mrs. Weasley reminiscing about her time at Hogwarts now, please. My name is Sarah. I'm joined as always by my co-hosts BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Uh, You perfectly hit the two things that amused me most about this chapter was two characters trying to out-noble each other at the end and Weasley vaguely hinting at a fascinating backstory that I'm sure we'll never get. Yeah, I need to take another lap around the lake with Mrs. Weasley. Oh, yeah. Please, just let her talk, let her reminisce. That's just going to be a fun afternoon. Some of it confused me, and I have questions about timeline, but I will save that for the questions and quibbles and qualms (laughs) portion of our various sections that we have in our podcast. Here we are, almost through the fourth book, and we finally got new trained, BJ. (laughs) So, it's not going to stick. This is like <laughs> Harry talking with friends. It's only going to work chapter to chapter to chapter. Well, thus our quest continues. But we do have some segments that we do here as we discuss chapter 31 of the fourth book of Harry Potter, the third task. We are finally at the third task of the three tasks for the Triwizard Tournament that is now a four-wizard tournament. Uh, we have a rapid-fire recap. Uh BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and then there are... Questions and queries and qualms and quibbles, uh, one of which we have gotten a, a little preview into already. Um, but we will get there. Are we ready for the recap? Uh, Sarah, this is to make up for a, a full but shorter kind of last chapter and a very short chapter before that. This one's a solid 30 pages of people doing shit. I know. This Do you is have a really important things happening. Yes. I'm excited. (laughs) What are you going to leave out? What major plot point are you going to leave out just just so you can get that 120 second mark, you know, you know, right on the button? What things are just not important this time around? BJ, your freaking posture changes when you realize you've got complete control over a situation. (laughs) Well... I don't, we're going to have to see. I don't, I don't even have anything to say about this. This was such a stressful situation doing my notes for this recap. Um, do I have a guess for the time? Do I have a bet? Um, the crucial things that you need to cover. And will, and will it be sufficient to satisfy, satisfy BJ as sole ultimate judge of whether your recap meets standards? Well, I believe last time I just told him I didn't care. And it just, we've moved on <laughs> after that. that. So. <laughs> But, you know, honestly, I think that I'm going to have to go in just winging a prayer under two minutes at this point. Um, This recap went under multiple rounds of revision. Things got cut. I have not practiced this final version. So we'll see, I suppose. Uh, We'll do it live. We'll do it live. You've got a good head of steam when it comes to points, so it doesn't matter over much. So I'm sure you'd like to have the extra cushion just in case. Mm -hmm. But the stopwatch is ready. The time is written down. Are you ready to go? 
Harry goes straight to Ron and Hermione with everything in the pensive except about Neville's parents, but Hermione's got her mind on Rita Skeeter and Ludo Bagman. Harry's actually feeling okay about this task, especially because McGonagall has given them a classroom to practice a litany of useful-sounding spells, and from which they catch Malfoy being shady. Sirius barrages Harry with owls, and finally, on the morning of the third task, a new Skeeter article appears in the Daily Prophet, claiming Harry is disturbed and dangerous, particularly highlighting his fainting fit and divination and his ability to speak parcel tongue, as revealed by Malfoy. Hermione has an off-to-the-library moment about how Skeeter getting her scoop. McGonagall collects Harry for the family gathering before the third task, and who shows up but Mrs. Weasley and Bill, who catches Fleur's eye. Amos Diggory is not particularly happy with Harry, but they escape for a walk on the grounds. Percy's apparently been dragged in to answer questions about the Crouch disappearance. Ron and Hermione catch up with them, and Mrs. Weasley is frosty towards her until Harry sets her straight. After the feast, they head down to the maze where they get instructions to send sparks into the air in an emergency. Bagman introduces the event, and Harry and Cedric are sent in first. They part ways in the dark labyrinth, and Harry starts heading through, although he's concerned at the lack of obstacles he's hitting. Cedric appears again, having escaped the scroots. Then Harry encounters a Dementor slash Boggart and a weird golden mist that turns everything upside down. He's also heard a scream, but he doesn't know where it's coming from. After getting his, past his own giant scroot, he hears on a parallel path Crumb using Crucio on Cedric. Blasting through the hedge, Harry stupefies Crumb and sends up red sparks. They part again, but Harry's unnerved that Crumb would have done such a thing. Then he finds the Sphinx, and he can either answer the riddle correctly and pass, answer wrong and get attacked, or not answer and backtrack. Shockingly, he does solve it and runs down the path to see the Triwizard Cup on its pedestal, and Cedric is running for it too. But there's also a giant spider running after Cedric. The spider grabs Harry and he uses Expelliarmus, but that means the spider throws him to the ground. Cedric stupefies the thing, but Harry's leg, already mangled by the spider pinchers, has completely buckled under him. Harry uh, urges Cedric to take the cup, but Cedric thinks it's rightfully his. It, they just finally decide to share it, grab it at the same time, and together they feel that belly button jerk. Well in. BJ, was it sufficient? I mean, the what? latter half. <laughs> You did get through like seven pages in about four seconds. Yeah, but like nothing super interesting happens in those seven pages. <laughs> There's a lot of talking about things and some like potentially new theories about things that we have already heard, but a lot of it is rehashing what happened in the last chapter. Um, but BJ, I, I, in this one particular case, which will also come under revision again each chapter, as does your understanding of how to be a human in the world, I will bow to your whims on whether this meets the the requisite amount of material needed for this summary. I mean, I think we all know it doesn't, but <laughs> I mean, there's no going back and changing it. But, so, but, you know, we don't have a time turner to be like, all right, you know, let's go back, you know, put, put in a little bit more, more, more meat into that. Those, uh, first four seconds where you covered, you know, a quarter of the chapter, <laughs> but you know, it's fine. I have other things to wheeze about. Okay. Points go through. This is honestly stunning to me. Um, but please BJ move right along Harry thinks about somebody else for the first time ever right like this is insanity he Mm -hmm. often got sympathy from strangers for being an orphan but as he listened to Neville's snores he thought that Neville deserved it more than he did this is like the first redeeming thing that we've ever had about Harry Potter and we're basically done with book four. This is no, no, a don't delete this. This is awesome. This is character growth. This is progression. I specifically flagged this while I was reading it again today. I thought this is we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this. So for characters acting out of character, we have one in the very next Kindle page. Don't worry about it, Hermione said Mm. shortly after Harry pointed this out to them and said he didn't mind practicing on for a while, referring to the exams that were coming up 
very, very shortly, at least we'll get top marks in defense against the dark arts. We'd never, we've, we'd never have found out about all these hexes in class. Hermione not worrying about classes. Again, something is wrong with this chapter. Somebody else wrote it. It is not JK Rowling. I don't know what's going on. Though there are enough semicolons and ellipses to, to point that she at least edited it. Um, As shown in the past, Hermione is willing to break her own standards for the sake of her friends, and I feel like this might fall in the same category as her willing to break the rules when her friends need to survive. So I I will say that I think this is showing a different part of her character that is in line with being super rule-following, like going in on exams and whatever else. This is the Spencer Spiral that Hermione's going on with hexes. Uh, <laughs> she is super excited to learn and practice all of these new hexes and I guess is willing to decide that all of the work that she put in for the entire semester up until this point, she will probably be fine. Ron? It's Ron who is the problem, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's um, interesting. And- I, I think that the Spencer, the Spencer spiral analysis that you are putting on Hermione here is right because that also mm. explains her she does this all the time we've seen it multiple times in the course of this book we see it with her rita skeeter bent Mm -hmm. in this chapter it happens with Um, spew it's with the you know it's with the house elves it happened the last book with uh trying to save the uh what's it called uh from death buckbeak yeah Mm -hmm. buckbeak from death Mm -hmm. um where i mean honestly you know see she seemed to really get caught up in the law and spend a lot of time in, in it where it's probably not going to hurt her grade particularly, but Ron is probably hmm, skating by. Ron, Ron is clearly the one who suffers here. And yes. I had forgotten until we got to this chapter that one of the perks of being a Triwizard Tournament champion is that you don't take end of your exams so that you have the time to prepare. Harry really getting off light on this one too. Yes. <laughs> Um, probably also very much the detriment of Ron. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, them half-assing things together is the only way they get anything done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I, they both I, half-ass something, they've whole-assed it together. Correct. That's how that works. Um, mm-hmm. thank you, Ron Swanson. Um, I want to put a pin in this until newbie's notes, but I do want to wheeze about it because I think it's interesting. Um, and maybe until questions two, the difference it's a between triple dip, he, BJ. I don't know. The difference between he who shall not be named, mm-hmm. which is at the start of the article, which changes to you know who, which is a very different reference, and it's either very well done or it's goofy, and that's why I think we need to talk about it in newbie's notes, and then I need to ask about it later. Okay. Um. And then we had something which I thought was just a joke, and I wasn't sure. Um, And now I need to try and find it. Um, It was uh, Molly Weasley talking about her time at Hogwarts and who the, uh, not the groundskeeper was, the uh, hall monitor. Mm. Oh, yeah. and I had it highlighted, and now I'm not seeing it, which is problematic. It was. He got, he got caught by a Pullian pr- Pringle. That one. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, I got page six sixteen for that. Uh, yeah, I'm in Kindle, which 
there we go. Um, so I did not know. So I was trying to figure out if this was a Pollywanna Cracker joke. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that, but maybe. <laughs> but a Pollyon is a name for the devil, oh. which I did not know. I didn't um, It is uh, apparently from the late Latin, from Greek, uh, Apollyon meaning destroyer. Hmm. Um, f- from the quite and the Alonai destroy. So I assume she was touching on the, the these people are the devil because they prevent us from doing things. Um, and I thought that was a, a cute little reference there. I like that. And now we go to Newbie's Notes. Okay. Well, and things that Harry needs to get credit for, I think we also should do one that even happened earlier. He's immediately sharing things with all of his friends. Which Harry's been remarkably inconsistent about, but he's immediately taking the Dumbledore conversation and giving them an opportunity to analyze it with him, which Harry's had a nasty habit of just burying that stuff and suffering alone and having the plot go disastrously because of it. So, again, character growth. He's actually talking with people. I was going to say, I feel like this is one of the times that maybe he shouldn't have because he's sharing Dumbledore's personal memories that he shouldn't really be privy to. I, my impression is that Dumbledore knows he's going to share these memories, which is why he told him specifically not to talk about Neville's parents. He could have told right. him not to talk about everything. I, I, I 100% agree on all points here. I just want to point out that what he's sharing is probably one of the few things that he shouldn't be sharing. You know, it's not an overheard conversation in a public place that desperately needed to be shared. It's a, you know, something a little bit more intimate, like somebody's own memories that you snooped on because, because you're, I don't know, Harry Potter and you don't care about anybody else. And it's less that he he was snooped, more that he was led by the nose to them, as Dumbledore works. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I, excuse me, can I go back for one second? I was so interested, um, BJ, in the... Apollyon Pringle and the yes. what Apollyon mean I means I while we were talking I looked up the uh, name meaning of Argus because our current caretaker yes. is Argus Filch Argus is from the Greek meaning vigilant guardian hmm. so she's very on brand mm-hmm. appropriate names yes anyway this was another thing that I did not know name wise and now we can move right along <laughs> and, and you're you're supposed to be the Harry Potter super fan I am very disappointed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I'm very much amused by with this series is just how much serious business these games or tournaments or whatever else are that the equivalent of the nation's secretary of state was either kidnapped or murdered on grounds like a day ago and no one thinks for a second let's maybe delay the tournament until we find out what the hell happened it's like that's not even entertained everyone's like Voldemort may be right outside the grounds Harry needs to be actively careful but most important you gotta get ready for the third test to such an extent that the replacement judge that they get is the Minister of Magic. Yeah, the President of the United States is stepping in because the alternative is possibly dead and murdered somewhere on grounds, maybe even, according to the President, by one of the teachers that's coordinating this, but we obviously can't stop the tournament. No. I also imagine that, at least for magical reasons, there would be problems stopping the tournament. Like, 
I imagine this to be like a binding spell kind of thing. Yeah, we have talked a little bit before about the Goblet of Fire and the what 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 a binding magical con- contract actually means. Mm-hmm. Pro- the, I think that you're probably right, VJ. That you know, nobody even thinks to stop the tournament because you can't in some way, shape, or form. Although we yeah. don't know what happens in the. I'm, I'm I'm guessing the contract probably doesn't have a force majeure clause, but if so, they need to add it going forward. Uh, well, BJ, like you referenced, the idea of Harry actually processing, thinking about other people was fascinating and wonderful. But one of the things I really like, too, comes even after that, of where Harry processes the idea of two conflicting emotions at the same time and finds a way for them to square. Of where he processes the idea of the outright rage he feels towards the people that inflicted that on Neville's parents and desire to hurt them and desire to punish them. But in the same thought, he then pictures the face of Barty Crouch's son, that pale face, desperately suffering, desperately afraid. And he's able to work through those kind of conflicting emotions, those kind of seemingly incongruous thoughts, to come to the conclusion about who's actually to blame for this and who really should bear the harm for it. That's a remarkably adult thought process that we don't often see out of Harry about being able to work through that in his head alone in a relatively short order. I mean, it's supposed to be about 15, so... Man's growing up. It's, it's impressive to see it. We, it, we often <laughs> joke that Harry seems like he, you know, stopped aging at like seven and the characters don't always feel like they're as old as they are. But that is a more mature thought process we see Harry go through in terms of pondering that out that I was kind of impressed by. We get like all the new spells this chapter. Like all of them. <laughs> and we they get, are so lazy. There's a oh, reason yeah. I didn't wheeze about them. I mean, we get the impediment curse, which I think it's literally its word is impedimenta or something like that. Correct. We get the reductor... Well, the impediment curse is basically you f- they freeze in place. Like, their legs go rigid and they fall over kind of thing. Um, we get the reductor... But it also applies to wasps, too. So I guess it just kind of locks something in place. Uh, we get the reductor curse, which I think is reducto, which is you blast objects out of your way, which sounds useful. We get the four-point spell, which I forget what they yell out when they want that to work. What, what, what does Harry yell out when that one happens? I don't think that uh, they... Do they give you the actual He, he does say something. I think it just says, uh, point me. Like, he just yeah. whispers, yeah, point, right. yeah. It essentially turns his wand into a compass, mm-hmm. which is useful for a maze purposes. We get a shield charm, which is a ward against minor curses, which I've been wondering whether those kind of things existed for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get jelly legs jinx, which I think we may have had that one before, but uh, still yeah, fun we, to say. I think we did. And then we get stupefy, which we've seen several times before. So... We, in rapid order, get a whole collection of charms these guys are practicing for just this purpose. And a whole new list of spells to include in things. Though, as BJ noted, the names are getting lazy. They're getting a little bit lazy. Uh, Malfoy... (laughs) For the listeners who can't see Sarah nodding begrudgingly, increasingly (laughs) begrudgingly as we go through this, that is what's happening. Yeah, I was trying to come up with a reasonable sounding explanation for this, but they're, they're... what? I'm failing. I mean, it's one of those things where we're, we're kind of mocking them being lazy, but if these were actually spells you'd want to have useful purpose, you'd kind of want the name to be straightforward and remind you whatever the hell the spell is. Especially They're, in stressful situations, which these are like clearly all meant to be used in. So, so it's, the cla- it's a classic example of practical but boring going into these names. These are meant to be useful spells rather than flashy ones, and they're kind of organized accordingly. And so, with the different languages that are presumably used for magic, does the U.S. school, like, have completely shift over, shifted over to Yeet for Expelliarmus? <laughs> and also, for one of the most used spells, Expelliarmus is a lot of syllables 
for being useful. That's that's true, but I don't think that anyone other than Harry has realized how useful it can be, so... It's, re- it's really kind of just his spell. It's mm-hmm. his personal spell at this point. Nobody uses it like Harry. Probably for good reason. <laughs> um, we get further sign that all of the uh, Slytherins are just serving as a constant source for Rita Skeeter news. The fact that they're directly appearing in her articles, but we get that little scene of what appears to be Balfoy and friends talking in a walkie-talkie to somebody they can't rec- they can't see. It's like, okay, all right. Do we do we need to ponder? T- we're, we're assuming at this point that Rita Skeeter is herself personally present. They're talking with her directly, but also her sources of information are also getting pretty obvious too. As for the article itself, disturbed and dangerous. Good title. Uh, as usual, Rita Ske- everything Rita Skeeter says is like actual. The facts are accurate. It's then the sources say interpretation that's all just straight up bullshit. A lot of people are saying, yeah. Um, I mean, the facts are written in a very convoluted way. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the base details are Harry did collapse, he did have pain from a scar, and he did storm out of divination class. All that's true. In fact, he's a parcel tongue. Equally accurate. The facts that he's seemingly friends with werewolves and giants. Still still all true. How people choose... The experts that she turns to, and friggin' Malfoy to interpret this, misleading as hell, but that's the entire point of the article. Also really interesting if she's accurately quoting the expert that she's quoting because, yeah, Spencer? I was going to frame who the expert is. An undisclosed member of the Dark Force Defense League. Is that a thing? Have we ever heard of that before? Oh, that's not who I was referring to, but yeah. The top experts at St. Mungo's Hospital. Oh, them too, yeah. Yeah. Those who are referring to, so maybe they weren't cooperating with her but it puts a very interesting spin if that's one of her common sources, mm-hmm. given who might end up have ended up there and a way to uh, further keep previous participants in the, the last uprising uh, out of commission or, you know, whatever else. So rather than mm. rehabilitating people, they're uh, giving them hell doll and saying, oh, you know, they're difficult. <laughs> that is interesting. Uh, BJ, I'm going to give you the opportunity to comment now on Voldemort, because I did have a note on it, but I think you've already taken the lead on it. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting how he's referred to in this uh, article, because my presumption is that the he who must not be named at the top of the article really is much more like one of Harry's names kind of thing, like how they referred to Harry as like the boy who tangled with you must not be named as opposed to like the boy who lived. Right. Yeah. Um, as opposed to actually referring to Voldemort where she's referring to Voldemort as you know who, which is a much more complicit mm-hmm. way of referring to him. So I think that like, actually this is an interesting take on I know we're not in questions and you have not asked a question here but I'm going to answer it because (laughs) turnabout's fair play but um Mm -hmm. I think that this is actually an interesting take on uh like a style guide whereby for example um the New York Times would use somebody's full name and perhaps like Mr. Mr. Septimus Smith right um as the the first time that they refer to somebody and then drop into something more informal later um, because, mm-hmm. for example, we we see a lot of people, ref- we see a lot of people who we know to be good people 
refer to Voldemort as you know who. Like Hagrid almost okay. exclusively refers to him as you know who. He doesn't say you he who must not be named. It's actually kind of a class thing, I think. Um, okay. So then it's sort of interesting that it's changed. Then I have less of an explanation for why it's actually changed in this piece. That actually seems like an inconsistency. But um, as far as I can I mean, remember, this is a bit more of a rag. It could be a reflection of her demographic she's aiming towards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is in the Daily Prophet, which is like the newspaper of record for the wizarding community. Before it was in Witch Weekly, which was absolutely, or her previous right. article was in Witch Week- Weekly, which is absolutely, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think uh, Professor McGonagall, for example, refers to Voldemort as he who must not be named. Um, but like I said, Hagrid says, you know who. I think that Ron almost exclusively mm. says, "You know who." Okay, yeah. <laughs> this can be interesting to keep track of now. I want to yeah. want to see what characters fall in each category. It, it would be interesting to kind of go back and do um, a kind of who, collation who of who of how who calls him what. But I do think that my read on it is that it is mostly class based. Um, Does it, anybody else refer to him as Voldemort? Um, at the moment, it's Dumbledore and Harry. And Harry, right. And Crouch. Yes. And right. I think, yeah, and, and so that becomes a, a point of contention. I can't remember if McGonagall has started referring to him as Voldemort yet or not. Um, okay. That that was sort of my question, because, like, it's sort of clear that people with enough power mm-hmm. and, like, sort of have had that conversation with Dumbledore are mm-hmm. just like, no, like... You know, we can say Voldemort and it's fine. Yeah. And to see, like, you know, is is that going to change in the future? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, the, the answer see, is like, yes. Where yeah. that goes. Um, and it becomes, you know, it's interesting because it becomes a sort of litmus test as to kind of where where you stand, if you're willing to mm-hmm. say yeah. it or not. Um, so anyway, but I do think then it does become trickier why why both appellations are being used in this article i'm not sure about that Mm -hmm. Uh, bj with you loving to make jokes about harry being a jock me realizing that he's exempt from tests for the sake of this sporting tournament was the most jock (laughs) moment harry's ever had Hmm. but sure (laughs) if hermione Uh, was specifically accepted into the school to make sure harry got through his tests (laughs) fair yeah we're we're getting to unc at that point man um Now, among the most heartwarming moments we've had in this book, and what actually kind of caught me off guard, the Weasleys being essentially brought in as Harry's family really made me happy. It was really nice to have that kind of moment. It kind of caught me off guard because I was think they were like just setting up a moment of Harry feeling awkward with them being alone there to then have the surprise that the Weasleys made a point of showing up to support him in this regard. That was a really sweet moment. I liked that quite a bit. Also interesting who showed up, and uh, I assume that's not important. Um, but it is a little surprising. Well, Molly is no surprise. Mm-hmm. Of course she's going to show up. Bill right. seems to show up for the purpose of establishing a flirtation with Flora. <laughs> I don't know why he can't multitask, Spencer. Sure. sure. Yeah. But, and, and, and then there's I, the, I guess there if is Mr. The comment, Weasley... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, there is the comment that Charlie wanted to come. Percy is obviously yes. very busy. Um, right. Percy's under investigation. And, and if Mr. Weasley showed up, half of the Ministry of Magic is at <laughs> this event, and so it'd be problematic for the running of the government. Yes, correct. Yes. I, I, we've commented before that Bill's kind of attempting a bad boy style, but not really being that, was J.K. Rowling kind of flashing what she found hot 
And so now that the hottest woman in the world finds this attractive, just makes it all the more clear how much this is J.K. Rowling's personal preference. I don't know why this is the case, but for some reason, Bill Bailey has invaded my image of Bill. Because he, he does have all of those things that are described. It's just not in the way it should be. He's all of those things, but not in the form of, like, an early 20s, you know, hot guy. He's, he's a biker. <laughs> he has long hair. I'm pretty sure he has an earring. He does wear leather jackets. Jeez. Those data points are correct. None of what they're attached to are, though. <laughs> uh, Sarah, like you said, the idea of Molly Weasley being a wild woman in her youth. Please, let's take her out for drinks and get her talking. I want to hear all those stories and I want to hear them now. Yes. That, that's what happens when J.K. Rowling decides to write a, you know, somewhat naked dude on the front of the cover Harry Potter book. Ah, it's yes. just, yes. Molly after midnight. <laughs> I enjoy that the safety measure that they've set up to keep kids alive inside this maze is, eh, if you're afraid, uh, fire a flare. Essentially, just... Put a flare in the air. The rangers will find you eventually. Which sounds great until we realize what is in this maze. Flare's not going to save you against giant spiders that can inflict, you know, serious bodily injury on you. But sure, yeah. I suppose this is at least moderately improving their chances of surviving to the end. Also, most harm is readily fixable. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I just have to keep coming to terms with, is that up to death and maybe even past that, it's just a spell. Is it? It's weird that they have allowed... I mean, it's one thing for them to be fighting, like, really dangerous creatures like scroots and spiders yeah. and things like that. Got it before. But the Sphinx kind of fucks with me, because they're just, like, willing to let a clearly very sentient being maul students. That one kind of got to me. Like, they're yes, having well, a conversation. Is yes, this well, better or worse than Snape's class? Hmm. Unclear. <laughs> Sarah, I do like you reference that, though, because if we're following the Greek mythology about what the Sphinx does if you don't get the riddle right, these kids die then. That's what happens. Yeah. They get ripped apart and consumed when you fail the riddle. So Was, Wasn't one of the exams that you had to take a poison... In, in you, Snape's you had class? To take, you had to take your antidote or something or something along those lines. You got fed a poison, and you had to, like, get the antidote right. I think he threatened that. I don't know that we saw evidence that that actually happened. Okay. This year. <laughs> don't give him ideas. Uh, a frog was... A, Trevor was poisoned at one point. Mm. We don't care about animals. It's fine. Well, uh, Hermione had the... Furiously whispered instructions for the antidote to Neville, so it all turned out okay. Question about how this maze works. There's not like a a hedge dome that's occurring over these aisles, right? You can see up and see the sky. Yes. No brooms allowed. Just don't don't even... The, okay, no, this is what I was going for. Don't. Why can't Harry do the exact same trick he used to get to the dragon and just arrange <laughs> for a broom to show up and then get a bird's eye view of where the damn thing is? I think that would be frowned upon. <laughs> also, he didn't use his, you know... <laughs> pointy wand trick when he was starting out the maze which was the exact wrong way to go about it clearly um yeah this seems like the ways that he could have gone about this they i you might as you sarah's you but they might have been in breach of sportsmanship rules to some degree but bird's eye view seems to make a maze kind of insignificant fair enough yeah i don't there might have been because what we what we do find out and it's kind of referenced i mean it's referenced in 
in the description what? of the maze. But, you know, it, they have, like, magically changed the uh, the hedges themselves such that they're, like, almost impossible to blast your way through. Um, I They might have some sort of something going on on top. This is my assumption, is that if you fly more than ten feet up, it suddenly just looks like there's a mist descending over it and you can't see anything. It seems like they'd kind of obviously work out yeah. that being a possibility. I mean, but, like, there are so many... There are other things that seem to break easily with a very obvious trick, so maybe not. Uh, maybe they were all disappointed in the contestants this year that somebody didn't just do that. <laughs> maybe you could just transfigure a scroot into a pogo stick and... <laughs> Why not? I think it'd be sure. rocket skates, given <laughs> given that it's a scroot, but sure. Oh, yeah. Fair. Gotta use that explosive element. Uh, the fact that scroots... Re- it's a testament to how jaded I am with just the danger they inflict on children in this world. The fact that scroots appeared surprised me none at all. The fact that, I, that, that we briefly thought there was a Dementor just roaming the maze, I'm like... Yep, that, 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 yep, that, that's par. That works. <laughs> that, they would totally do that. Back to the Bogart's like, okay, fine. They're not directly trying to murder them this time. Good enough. But then that's immediately done away with when a giant friggin' shellob spider shows up and starts gnawing on Harry's leg. Like, inflicting bleeding bodily harm there. It's like, no amount of flair saves that kid. The kid just dies. Also interesting that the Patronus didn't really work on the Bogart. Mm-hmm. It it tripped it. It's like I think that was the description is that it kind of got disconcerted for a second, right? Which is sort of a really interesting like that there are spells and that or that there are creatures and counters to them. And I guess I imagine the Patronus being like a this is a way higher level spell than uh, whatever the its silly spell is that you do to a bugart. Mm-hmm. Um, that it would, like, encompass more things as opposed to, like, no, it just doesn't work on that because that's not the right counter. Yeah, so uh, I think we... that, like, the more complicated spells get, frequently the more specific they become. Um, gotcha. Rid- mm. Yes, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, it was interesting, though, to see how quickly Harry was able to summon his Patronus without seeing any seeming effort. It's, it's a bit of a background suggestion that Harry is actually getting remarkably powerful in certain ways over time in the story in ways we don't really see necessarily the A to B to C of. We just kind of every now and then see the results. Well, yeah, with that one. Um, and that one we actually talked about because it was like, once you do it once, it's easy. Yeah. And they that happened via a time paradox that we're not going to talk about because... <laughs> we did it last book. We're not going back to it. <laughs> Oddly enough, among the things that are in this maze that freak me out the most, the actual creatures, not that scary. The magic world-flipping trapping mist, those kind of traps freak me out a little bit in terms of what effect that they can have. And the description of Harry going through it is one of the most effectively descriptive, evocative, fun image of my brain-inducing scenes in the chapter. I'd be really curious to see how that's... How, how it's portrayed or if it's portrayed when we get to the movies later on. Yeah, I think this moment for the mist where... Harry casts Reducto at it, and we get this line, the spell shot straight through the mist, leaving it intact, is a sort of, like, you can just see Harry doing it, kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? We have something that, like, yeah. is not, what what is happening? Not what I trained for. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's an, okay, uh, BJ, I know I'm just throwing just straight praise at Harry nonstop here, but it's nice to again see a consistent thread with Harry that when somebody is in danger and he thinks that he can help them all other things fall to the wayside. 
Doesn't yeah. matter he's in the middle of a tournament, doesn't matter that it's in a competition for honor, for prestige, for a massive amount of money or whatever else. When he thinks Floor is in danger, all that disappears from his brain, he goes to search and try to help for. With yeah. the guilty thought at the back of his head of one competitor gone, but it's at the back of his head rather than his motivation. Yeah. It, it's, you know, actions over thoughts. And, and you know, I, I agree with you on that. And, and it happens again in a couple of moments in the book. Yeah. It, it's a consistent thread we always need to remember that's a positive about Harry. As much as he can be frustrating, as much as he's short-sighted or selfish, when push comes to shove and someone's actually under threat of being hurt, he will always do the right thing in a way that a hero should. Unless they're going after his girl. But separate <laughs> category there. Which is... <laughs> he saves the guy that took his girl from his perspective, so maybe he's even worked past that. Uh, I think he realizes that she's not... <laughs> is in for no uncertain terms now <laughs> yeah uh let's talk about crumb though bj we mentioned the idea of crumb's actions yeah. crumb from what this sets up seemingly turned on the two other competitors may have harmed or at least incapacitated floor and was using the cruciatus curse on diggory etc this seems in my perspective out of character from what we've seen of crumb previously who honestly in terms of individual character actions seems relatively shy and mm-hmm. pleasant um, but we have seen him be willing to use violence to get through his prior tests, including with the dragon. Do yeah. you feel that you noted the idea that maybe this is a man that's under control, under control of someone else or not himself right now. I kind of buy into that. What is that? Is that what we're going with? I mean that like my thought was, let's say somebody uses a polyjuice potion, you know, any number of things could have somebody that looks like crumb going through this. And, you know, if I had, thought about this more and then gone back in the chapter and you know what was his interactions with his parents like you know did they seem normal stuff like that is something that i would have checked um but but yeah i mean this doesn't feel like the character that was shy around her my hermione um Mm -hmm. and just all like how he was portrayed up until this point um i guess i saw his interactions previously as what you would learn at Dermstrang as opposed to like his personality per se. Like right. this is how like he would have been taught to overcome these obstacles as opposed to a much more goofball Dumbledore way of, you know, finding a loophole rather than, you know, charging it straight on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- this definitely feels out of character to me. I think that there are a lot of explanations that it could be somebody else. Um, but, I, you know, I, we also might be giving a lot more credit than... Well, whoever's... If it is indeed someone that's controlling him, they're going for broke, because this is going to have repercussions. Even if this worked, unless he killed them, and even that's going to have going to bleed back, someone's going to say he used an, an, an unforgivable curse. Well, this is going to lead to one of my questions um, that we can phrase now and then answer and actually <laughs> ask later, which is... What is an unforgivable, like, who has decided what an unforgivable curse is? And as far as I understand, it's the Ministry of Magic, which is unclear that it holds purview outside of essentially the UK. And so... Fair point. These curses could be perfectly fine in any other place, and he's doing something that we see as terrible, at least, you know, through the lens of being at Hogwarts, but to them might just be, well... This is sort of the one of the equivalent spells at the Patronus level. 
And so, you know, we, yes, he's doing something that the book says he shouldn't, but Durmstrang might be like, this is a, a fourth year spell that you need to learn or a third year <laughs> or, you know, whatever. So I, that's a, that's a fair point. I hadn't really thought about that perspective that between cultures, the idea of inflicting this kind of unforgivable harm on another person may just be how you go about the day of solving problems. Um, and, and like, again, as you mentioned, like this is how he has approached other problems with a streak of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that it's a sphinx in the middle of a maze rather than like not like a minotaur or something along those <laughs> lines, kind of Greek mythology pissed me off a little bit. Though I did, I was amused to see that kind of Sphinx properly doing riddles in that style. She clearly is a fan, J.K. Rowling is clearly a fan of Greek mythology in that regard. The riddle, again, just demonstrated a fundamental gap in my intelligence about being able to actually solve these kind of problems, because that was just straight gibberish to me when I was looking <laughs> at that page. I'm not, it I'm was not... also funny because it relies on a difference in language, because people in America don't really say er. We say, uh, that was what messing with me. Um, yeah. So, so that was like a, also, I completely diff- disagree with her definition of spy. Uh, <laughs> well, you would also That's a hope, shitty spy. You know, we do have like one Bulgarian and one French person in this maze. You would hope that she would switch language to not be making these students, if they ran into her, solve riddles in language, like language-based riddles in languages that are not their own. So maybe she would have produced one for an American context as well. I would yes. love if Dumbledore was the one that was tasked with, you know, arranging for this aspect of things and just gamed it for his own student. <laughs> oh, I, I really don't think he would. I mean, I, I imagine that, that if he had done it, it just would have been in the original Greek. Like, you know, let's just not even... <laughs> yes, that's it. With not going to worry about it. Options. That's it. Uh... The, again, as noted, the, spy, the whole spider appearance here, beyond simply the kissing thing, but the friggin' spider dash show up just throws the idea of this being less than lethal completely out the window. Because this thing's straight going to murder him, and if there hadn't been two students present, Harry would have died. That That's how that would have gone down. No teacher would have rescued him, he would have been in a spider's gullet. I mean, he could have had as unlikely a rescue as we've seen elsewhere. We, he's just trussed up. And eventually is like randomly saved out of the blue for no ungodly reason, and you just don't know that this is a deadly encounter. It it it, it that that fang getting into his legs seemed all kinds of hallmarks of deadly. But you're right; it may have just been an initial damage to then go to a non-violent, a less violent solution. Uh, Sarah, you know at the beginning, I love the scene of basically two two honorable people trying to out honor out honor each other for a. Really long conversation. They do this for like three pages of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Also because it just doesn't matter because they know everybody else is done. So they can just sit and do whatever they want. Yep. We're going we're gonna to debate a mutually agreeable solution to this problem. <laughs> uh, and I feel like I, I'm going to give myself some mild props for bringing up the idea of this last chapter. But that's totally a port key, right? They're flying through the air the same way we saw this in the beginning of this book. When you touch an object and it flies you somewhere. The cup is a port key. Sarah's not answering me. This answers my question. Okay. I, I will say it is difficult to to refute that um, logic. The, the description for the physical effect. When exactly we're back in the hook the behind the navel territory. Yeah, it is a very specific description that they offer for what it feels like to travel by port key. That doesn't seem... I mean, it's it's the rules of this game shift nonstop. It's po- perfectly possible there's a surprise fourth round. 
That doesn't seem like what they were told at all, though. It doesn't seem like they necessarily would have really planned here unless it's, you know, port king them back to start, which is possible. Uh, so given how much everyone's been building in, the- Harry needs to finish this task, including all the bad guys, too. I'm kind of anticipating something insidious out of this, but I'll be curious to see how it plays out. Um, because we sort of do know that you can make anything into a port key. Yeah. Um, also, I guess that's a, you know, they're not supposed to work on campus was like one of the big things. Yeah, but... For transportation things, because otherwise, oh my god, I would make everyday objects into port keys <laughs> all the fucking time. This yes, would be would. the best prank. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if this is indeed uh, some kind of evil plan, uh, the fact that the main people we've seen use this before were the Ministry of Sport and uh, people associated with that, and that Ludo Bagman's present and constantly trying to get Harry to the end, it wouldn't put it much past him that he enchanted this port key for that kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. And he might have the dispensation. It's unclear judge, what the yeah. uh, shielding that Hogwarts has. This, this might be one of his things mm-hmm. that he could, like, pierce through. Yeah. Well, well, that wraps things up for me. Uh, Sarah, you, you've got a game here. You've got a thir- you have the, you have the third task. Does that give you uh, some help in deciding who the winners and losers are? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> Um, not, not really. The un- unexpected port key at the end of this has made choosing either side and, well, and Harry's leg and Cedric seems a little worse for wear as well by the Singed. end of this. Um, that, you know, I'm not comfortable choosing either of them for the winner of this chapter. My, I, I think that, you know, we've got to go back to my very briefly summed over beginning of this chapter to find the winner, and perhaps we should be dubbing Hermione the winner of this chapter. At very minimum, Hermione seems like she's setting up the great win that she's been looking for in the course of this chapter. But she, isn't there. She also gets I her name like... cleared by Molly Weasley. To Molly Weasley. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, but... Hmm. Th- I was th- going to put forth Bill or Molly... Uh, they both seem to be having a grand old time. That's that's certainly true. Um, Bill seems to be having a better time than almost anyone in this chapter, which I, is pretty good. Can I note something that came to mind, too, about what cleared Hermione? What cleared Hermione was not Harry saying, no, 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 she isn't trying to, you know, destroy me or undermine me or be an evil person. She's just totally not my girlfriend. And when Harry said, she said that to Molly, I was like, okay, you're good now. Yes. That's an interesting focus in that conversation. Does Molly know that Ron has the biggest crush on Hermione or Hermione? And how could she not? (laughs) Because Ron isn't real bright. Same note. Does she also know that, oh God, what's the name of her daughter? Uh, Jenny. Jenny? Yeah. Jenny. Has a massive crush on her. Oh, she has to. Uh, Even Ron knew that. So therefore. Yeah. She needs this rival out of the way. Um, yeah, so, that's fair. Uh, the Sphinx seemed to have a good time. <laughs> Sphinx was doing So did great. the spider. I mean, like, where are we going with things? Well, the the blast-eyed screwits were useful. Where we're going is that there aren't a lot of good options for winners in this chapter, specifically. At least in my opinion. Um, Ludo Bagman got to have a good time, but he also had many aspersions cast on him at the beginning of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Percy's doing a lot of work at the ministry, <laughs> I, I, but he also has an investigation going. I don't know. I, I think given all of his moments of maturity that we've already talked about, Harry's got to be at least mentioned. Just in terms okay. of, it's not only that he has a success at the end, we'll see where it goes, but we got to see how far he's come as a person to even reach this point. That No, that is a fair point. And at the exact moment at which we end this chapter, he does, well, at, at point three seconds before we end this chapter, <laughs> he does think that he is co-winner of the Triwizard Cup. Nothing has actually gone bad yet. Nothing has gone bad yet. They no, could, no. There could be any number of places where they are supposed to be port-keyed. Um, yes. This is a belly button hanger. Like, we just don't know where they're getting pulled to. We just know they're, they're getting pulled. Yes. And if, if that is the case, then I suppose that we should also put Cedric in the conversation. And in fact, mm-hmm. we could have co-point winners as they believe themselves to be co-try was a tournament winners the only reason that i would put harry a little bit forward is because of what spencer was saying he has had the most personal growth in this chapter that we have ever seen that's Mm -hmm. that's very true the and the only reason that i would put cedric up there like the 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 leveling with cedric that i would say is we know that amos diggory is there we know how excited he is for his son to be the winner the winner yeah and Um, yet cedric Cedric always seems uncomfortable, though, with his father's... Yes, he yeah. is. And in fact, he does uh, and we not... we saw that at the, yeah. the games. Cedric is consistently portrayed as being a good, honorable guy you want to be around. He doesn't have the cutthroat mentality his dad wants to seem to instill in him. Um, okay, well, let's... We'll go with Harry 1, Cedric 2 here. That so, was an interesting face, Sarah, you made. Um, that one. Yeah. So, loser... We have several options for losers. You do. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> Gotta pick one. We, we, we'll let you pick two for the winner. We're not letting you pick two for the loser. <laughs> well, what is giving me pause is that, it, that, in my mind, it is clear that something terrible has happened to Fleur. <clears throat> by the end of this chapter. Yeah. Crumb does not seem to be in a great place, but it is unclear what the motivation behind what is going on with Crumb actually is. We don't have any real knowledge about that yet although he did get knocked out but that might have been deserved we don't know yet so but also well so i would say that crumb's in a really bad position at least from like the framing that we have because not only was he knocked out there are witnesses of him casting an unforgivable curse and so this is like he has committed a a verifiable felony at this point it's, it's one of those things of where, in terms of life or limb, he's possibly in a significantly better position than Floor is, just because we don't know. Floor could be literally stuffed in the fridge at this point. Yes. We have no clue. That, he's not going to die. That seems to where things go. That's not the what? reason my freezer is so full. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's an expression. Um, <laughs> so he's not going to die in the same way we may be worried about her. But, as you noted, BJ, the repercussions of what he just went through will be long-lasting. Yes. Okay, I'm convinced. We're going to go Harry, winner, crumb, loser. I I am convinced by all of this. This all could be upended on its head by the time we get to next chapter, but for this moment... (laughs) Yeah, if Floor's actually dead, she might need to win this. Yeah. Yes, we'll we'll retroactively uh, shift points around. Okay. Um, Um, Questions? So, I mean, I alluded to this, and I wanted to get it out of the way quickly. 
What's the purview of the Ministry of Magic? So I want to do some research on this and get back to you because I did a quick search while when you first brought it up and I'm, I'm, this mm-hmm. is something I'm legitimately interested in learning more about. So if you would, if you don't mind, I would like to get back to you on okay. this partially because yep. my search came up with a 2006 article from the Roger Williams university law review <laughs> entitled Harry Potter, oh, Lord. Harry Potter and the unforgivable curses, norm formation, formation, inconsistency, and the rule of law in the wizarding world. So I, I want to return to this question. <laughs> If we had done this podcast 10 years ago, I would have written that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I the, because I do think it's it is a really interesting point that the unforgivable curses may not in fact be unforgivable outside of uh, you know British wizarding law um some sort of like League of Nations, I I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, we also do we know that it's a Ministry of Magic prohibition? Because I think we've only gotten it in Hogwarts. Oh no, it's it's a th- yeah, it's absolutely a Ministry of Magic. Like this is okay. this is law. I mean, not, that was my yeah. assumption, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like it, I just thinking back, I don't remember that it's like the Ministry of Magic has forbade this. Yeah, it's just like this is the description of these curses. Yeah, and what I what I am seeing in just sort of answers is that through the books, they're only stated to be illegal in Britain. It's mm. it's unclear in the actual text of the books whether that extends to other countries or not. Gotcha. Um, one I kind of referenced earlier. I'm curious about. I don't think I don't know if we've ever heard of the Dark Force Defense League before as an organization. Is that a new one on us? And if so, is it actually something that sounds more than the neighborhood watch that it comes across <laughs> as? Does it come up ever again? I this is I don't. <laughs> okay. Um. She made that sound all kind of like, this is a professional person. Then I realized, I've never heard of this organization oh, before. we have heard of this before. Really? In his many bullshit titles, Gilderoy Lockhart is a oh, member God. of, is an honorary <laughs> member of the Dark Horse Defense callback. League. Oh, my God. Um, that is a fun callback right there. Yeah. So this is an island school handing out an honorary <laughs> degree. This is the American Samoa law degree right here? Yes. Um, honorary law degree. They didn't ah. actually go through. These are the only two times that it's mentioned, though. Okay. Okay. That so sounds it, about right. It really struck me as the title that if you're only look, if you not really double-checking it, sounds really legitimate and impressive, yeah. but actually turns out to be complete bullshit. And so you mm-hmm. can imagine the idea of like her taking a quote and attributing it to a person from the Dark Force Defense League. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I do like that this was not the first time that we had heard yes. about this, that it had actually been referenced before. That's really fun. I really appreciate that. That's a consistent world building I like. Mm-hmm. Um, although, actually... I can't ask this question. I can't float this theory because it is, in fact, spoilery. But someone please remind me next book that I have something else to say about the uh, Dark Force Defense League and um, Rita's quoting of someone from the Dark Force Defense League. Okay. We'll get right on that. In the next book. Spencer is on that. He is actively taking a note on one of his mini screens that is in front of him. Computer number three has the reminder. Thank you. Um, Okay. Other questions? So... The Whomping Willow. Yes. It, I, I'm sort of, mm. do we find out more about its history because it has come up so many times now and so many surprisingly important things that it seems to have uh, semi-Athena-like sprung forth 
uh, fully grown at some point because so my my understanding is that uh, the Weasleys are older enough than uh, the uh, than Potter and uh, Sirius etc that presumably it was planted in between the two but it's was fairly definitely like a massive tree at that point because that was like one of the ways that they prevented other people happening into the hut. Yeah, so, so it was um, specifically planted for Sirius. Okay. So it was planted when Sir- when yeah. Sirius got to Hogwarts um, to stop students from coming upon him because they could, okay. Dumbledore came up with this whole plan and he's the one who planted the Wampum gotcha. Willow and I, it was like planted the year that Sirius... Um, okay, and like I didn't yeah. get that that was I uh, like I remember that being something that they used for that purpose specifically. I just mm-hmm. didn't realize. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. sense because I was just like, all right, how did this full-grown tree not exist when maybe five to ten years, maybe five years yeah. earlier? It's not that long because they shouldn't be that much older. Yeah. Let, let's let's inquire into that just to confirm our dates because BJ's you know it's framing them as being. Of an older generation mm-hmm. than Snape, Sirius, Harry's parents, which makes sense given their, the age of their oldest children. Yeah. But are we right. figuring as much as like ten years older? Or I would. It's say, got. I would. Say, got to be close to. Yeah, I think that it's at least. I would say that the close, and this is just a feeling that I have. I could look up the actual dates. I'm sure someone has done the math on this, but like my feeling is the closest they would have been would be that um, Arthur and particular potentially Molly if they are the same age. It's unclear if they're exactly the same year or not. But that they would have been at best sort of in their last year at Hogwarts when Sirius and um, uh, Pettigrew and Snape and Harry's dad were starting. Like, I think there's not, there's no indication that they have any overlap in their social circles before they, at at Hogwarts, essentially. So I think they have to be... at best, on the two tail ends of, of their Hogwarts careers. And because of, like, how this is referenced and, like, the little peak that we get so far mm-hmm. into Molly's time, mm-hmm. it either she had a very close friend, shall we say, that isn't the current Mr. Weasley, mm-hmm. or it was him. And, and then I guess sort of the impression mm-hmm. that I get from pretty much everybody is they have kids shortly after they mm-hmm. finish high school because there's no college of wizardry. In this universe, everybody marries their high school sweetheart. (laughs) Um, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Except for... Not not joking too much here. Yeah. Uh, Some people. Um, And, yeah, so I guess my my presumption is that that's Arthur that she's talking about. And and so that would put them probably well out of... uh, at least a couple of years out of Hogwarts before anything else happened. Yeah, so I think that there is a sort of 10-year gap. I think that would make sense. Um, I basically said this straight out, and you kind of agreed, but I just want to confirm that you can make a port key out of anything you want. Yes, you can. But the making of a port key is advanced magic, and I can't remember... They, can they you are... make it out of other people's wands? We never see any evidence of that. Um, and they, okay. so they are, so that would be my prank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> yeah. Let's have our duel and you're gone. And you're on a desert island somewhere. Good luck. 
I win by Bye. forfeit. Hope you've passed your apparition test. That that or their broom. Try not to splint yourself. That's how it's working out. It should the broom is taking you somewhere? It's fine. Um, Sarah, kind of more general question, but given this is your favorite book, which of these three tests was your favorite? To read about. To read about, talk about, or or to enjoy experiencing. But everyone answer the question. I, um, we we had the question about like which one do you think you could actually do out of the three? But mm-hmm. the one that I think is the most interesting to read about, I think this maze is fascinating, and I think it's really interestingly written as well, which I enjoy. Um, but the like cre- the creepiness of this labyrinth. Um, and the kind of like racing towards the end of the book and the knowledge that it's the third task, like this is the most enjoyable one to read for me. Yeah, only only kind of complaint I have about this one is that it feels the one that that's mo- that they go through the quickest. Mm-hmm. Um, is that with the dragons we had a massive amount of buildup even before Harry experienced it. With the water, we spent like we spent a lot of time underneath the water pondering things, whatever else. This one, it's fascinating. It's dark. It's kind of you know Victorian Gothic to a certain degree in terms of the experience of it. But it kind of feels like it's a little bit rushed as Harry's going through it to get to the conclusion. And I think part of that is part of that is because he meets so many distinct obstacles and runs True. into mm-hmm. his fellow competitors again that it feels almost that each one of them feels so uh, kind of curtailed in some way. But then when and you it's think also about a minor portion of his time in the maze when interesting things happen, and so it yeah. feels even more fleeting because it's a lot of. And he ran into a dead end yeah. and a dead end. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to write. Yeah. And so I, I think it, it was done reasonably well, given that that it is a hard thing to write. I think it would have been a little bit better to make the dead ends and his interaction with them a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I think then Spencer, you, like you would have had less of a feel that it was so quick. I think the quickness yeah. is part of the point. It's meant to have a frenetic pace. It's meant to feel the stress of Harry going through all these things. That if he actually had time to ponder them, we'd lose a bit of the tension of him rushing through this as fast as he can. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. an inst- it's an intentional stylistic choice that I think works well. It's just more, I enjoyed this kind of, it's a concept that I wanted to spend more time in it just because I found it fascinating. Yeah. But that's all for me. I'll let you off, off for now. Off the navel hook for now. Yes. Um, we will we will return to many more of them. <laughs> so um, next time we have chapter, chapter thirty two, flesh, blood, and bone, which Uh-oh, is Spencer. so Macbeth. I'm, even the image that we get at the start of the chapter is straight up Macbeth that I'm already engaged. Um, yeah, put your uh, thimbles on your thumbs because otherwise we have some bad things coming your way. <laughs> I, I, guys, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to talking about this next chapter, Sarah. This one looks decidedly short like maybe the shortest chapter we've ever had yeah this is this is a seven page chapter so thank goodness but i interested a lot happens in those seven pages (laughs) well as usual uh i guess we look forward to doing that with you bye guys